it was mid-morning. I was sitting there in the kitchen, and I was still in college, lived in a house full of guys, and I decided it was a rare moment when, when none of the other guys were around. Like, for whatever reason, they were all out at class or work or somewhere. And so I decided to open up my Bible and read. And I opened up my Bible to this. It was Ephesians chapter 1, and I came to these verses. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And those words on that day, like, touched something deep in me. I, I, I'd certainly read it before. I'd certainly heard it before. But for some reason that day, I really heard it. Like, I heard those words, like, spoken to me. For some reason that day, in love, he predestined us. I knew that God loved me before the creation of the world. Like, God was planning on me. That God came after me even before I'd done anything. Knowing everything about me, God loved me. And something happened when I read those words that, like, had never happened before reading my Bible. And I'm not joking. Up to this point, never happened. I started weeping. And I'm not just talking like a little cry. I'm like blubbering, like snot starting to run. It's, it's a, and so I'm sitting there completely, like completely caught off guard by this, just like hearing about God's love, and it just wrecks me. And the thing that made this moment so memorable is right as I'm like snot's flowing and I'm weeping, my friend burst in the door. And he wasn't just any friend, Joe Hilrich. At the time, he was like one of those guys who could like shave every 10 minutes, you know, and like lift weights. And he's like coming in to ask me to lift weights. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I couldn't control it because I was falling in love with the word of God. Like these weren't just some ancient letters to me. They were God's word for me. Like I was meeting Jesus in the scripture. I was hearing his word come to me. And it was so powerful, so intimate, so like life-changing. And then fast forward a few years. And I, I so love God's word. that What do people do when they find out you love God's word? They say, you should go to seminary. So I go to seminary. And, uh, and there they're going to teach me the right way to read the Bible, the right way to interpret Scripture. So here's what you got to do. First, you start out, you got to learn your Greek and your Hebrew, and then you can begin dissecting the text in its original languages. And then you're going to devote several years to learning the historical, grammatical, cultural backgrounds of each and every book of the Bible. And then you're going to devote a few thousand hours to taking everything that you learn and compiling it systematically. So what does it, the Bible say about God? Theology proper. What does it say about man? You know, anthropology. What does it say about sin? Homardiology. What does it say about angels? Angelology. What does it say about end times? Eschatology. So we had all these ologies going all over the place. And here's the thing. After a few years of this, I discovered something about myself. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm pretty good at it. In fact, in just a couple years of this, I could analyze, dissect, debate text with the best of them. I mean, with the PhD students, with the professors. Like, I was... I was kind of good at it. But oddly enough, the better and better I became, and the more passionately I heated up these debates over what the text actually said, I found that my actual love for meeting God in the text began cooling down. 
And it really hit me at one moment. Uh, we're in, in the dining hall there, and there's a whole bunch of guys around the table, PhD students and, uh, you know, professors and, and, and some of us master students all sitting there. And we were having a conversation that could only really happen at a seminary. It's like, it's one of these verbal brawls over the doctrine of predestination. <laughs> like, does God predestine some for heaven, for saving? And I'm, this is one of those conversations that it's almost coming to blows here. Like, guys are losing their temper. Like, they're rolling up their sleeves. And it's like one of those, like, hey, what about this verse? Well, if you understood Greek and Hebrew, you'd understand that this means that. And well, if you read Alvin Plattinger and, and, and Diogenes Allen, you know that the concept of free will means this. And he's like, well, if you read your Bible. And back and forth and back and forth. And in the middle of this, this wasn't even my debate. It wasn't even my fight. But something in me couldn't help myself. And I decided to pull out a few verses and beat people about the head with them. And somewhere between like John 15 and Romans 9, I heard this very phrase come out of my mouth. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He predestined us according to his pleasure and his will. I was quoting Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 with anger, vehemence. I was like beating people about the head with it. And then instantly I was like, what is wrong with me? The very verse that made me weep uncontrollably just a few years earlier, I was using as a weapon, as an object, to try and win an argument, to try and hurt people. And that was the, the moment where I realized something had to change. Like, I was headed towards becoming an expert in the Scriptures and forgetting why I love to read the Scriptures. And that was the time when I learned I, I've got to relearn how to read the Bible. That it's not enough to be really good at Greek and Hebrew and all the cultural things and not enough to do all that. There's got to be something more to the way we read the Scriptures. I knew the Bible the way like a surgeon knows a cadaver, you know. He's got all these sharp instruments, so I had my, my linguistics my cultural backgrounds and my comparative literature from the time period, my archaeology and my philosophy and my theology, and I could pull it out and I could dissect it and I, could, I knew it inside and out. But the fact of the matter is, it had become to me a dead text. And it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be living and active. So I thought, how do I once again find, find the text that is not dead? It's not an object to beat people with, but is the very Word of God spoken to me. And so that's what I want to talk about briefly today. Today I want to talk about kind of an ancient way of reading Scripture that helps us move beyond looking at Scripture as a, a dead text. It's, it's a way of reading Scripture that personally has given life to my reading of Scripture. It's a reading of Scripture that does not require Greek or Hebrew. You don't have to know all the, all the ancient Near Eastern backgrounds. But it's a way of reading Scripture that views it as living and active. It's a way of reading the Bible that Christians have been using for centuries, and at least 1,500 years, to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. That the point of reading the Scriptures this way is to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. And so um, the thing is, is about this reading of Scripture, I can't just tell you, I have to show you. 
So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do two things. We're going to start out and we're going to get into a text and I'm going to lay out a few principles from Luke chapter 10 of like, why are we going to do it this way and what are some principles that we want to take into this? And then in the second part, we're going to stop and we're actually going to do it together. We're going to go through a text through Mark chapter 4 and we're actually going to read it together. We're going to practice this, all right? So today's going to require a little more audience participation than usual, all right? All right. Oh, no, this is going to be bad. That's okay. You're still bitter about the rainy Labor Day thing. So let's look at the text. Here's a, here's a text. This will be comfortable. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Luke 10, 25. A lot of you will be familiar with this story. So it starts out like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a Bible expert, an expert in the Old Testament scripture, stood up to test Jesus. Get that. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's an expert in the law. He wants to test Jesus. Do you really know what you're talking about? See, I know the original languages. I know the historical background. I understand how to interpret it correctly. I know the right way to interpret it. So he's going to test Jesus and see if Jesus knows. Jesus asked, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? It's an interpretive question. How do you read it? This is a good question. He answered, the man answered to Jesus, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Like that summarizes the whole Old Testament. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. You have the right answer. You've obviously done your studying. You've, you've systematized the text. You've dissected it. You've gone through it all these different ways. You've analyzed it. You've, your years have paid off. You have the right answer. Jesus says, do this and you will live. So the expert, get this, he's exactly right. He has the right answer. There's no problem with his knowledge. But we're going to see here that there's, there is a problem. So watch this. But he wanted to justify himself. So he wants, to, he wants to back up and say, well, there's a reason why I'm asking this. Because I just told you the right answer, but I have no idea how to live that answer. Like, I just told you that I'm supposed to go love my neighbor, but I have no idea how to love my neighbor. And he says... But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So get this. Rather than love his neighbor, he wants to explore the semantic range of the word neighbor. Well, what do you mean by neighbor? He doesn't weep before God's word. He wants to dissect it. He is studying scripture to justify himself. Get this. He's studying scripture to justify his own behavior, his own lifestyle, the way he lives. He's justifying himself. So he he gets all these technical commentaries and he understands all the words so that he can justify his own position, the way he's living. And Jesus is going to spot this and say, there's something seriously, seriously wrong with how you're reading the scripture. You've objectified it. You've turned it into a book. It's a study of words. It's a study that you think you can analyze and dissect and cut apart instead of submit to, instead of hear God's word from. He's depersonalized it. He's separated this, this book from God when it's supposed to be God's word, God breathed. 
So what's Jesus do? He could, he could in this situation, Jesus could say, well, let me tell you the technical definition of neighbor, and it includes X, Y, and Z. He could do that, but if you know, know this, so he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he goes like this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he starts telling a story. Nothing to prep you, just starts telling a story. And he forces the man, listen to this, he forces the man in this story to stop slow down, enter into the story, to participate with it, to personalize it. And he says, so there's this man, this guy's just walking along on the way to Jericho. And these robbers come out and they like beat the tar out of him. They leave him naked, bloody. He can hardly move. He's on the side of the road. He's going to die. They take everything and he's lying there. And then along comes a priest and nothing, just walks on the other side. And then along comes a, a Levite. And so it's a person who works in ministry full-time. And he walks on the other side, and then along comes a Samaritan, like the type of person you hate. You know, the Samaritans. Like the very person you hate, you despise everything about that person. Everything about them represents disgust to you. That guy comes by, and he takes the man. He wraps him up, wraps up his wounds. He, he tie, binds him up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the local hotel, pays the bill in full and says, I'm going to come back and check on you in a few days and make sure you're all right. And tells the owner, if there's anything else he needs, it's covered by me. And then he says, now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the robbers? He asked him a question. Like, this is not enough just to hear the story. Now, you personally have to answer the question. You have to engage the text. Like, you have to experience it. You have to personalize it. You have to participate in this understanding in order to understand, to read this passage correctly. You have to answer the question for yourself. And the expert replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here's the question. Here's the question. What is Jesus showing us here? He says, how do you read it? Like, how do you read the text? And he's showing him and us a reading of Scripture that is participatory, that is utterly personal between you and God, between you and others. If you really want to know the meaning, Jesus says, you have to go and do it. Like you have to experience it. You have to live it. Like, it's not enough to know all the meaning of all the words. You have to participate in it. It has to be personal. It's not enough to know the technical definition of neighbor. You have to be a neighbor. It's not enough to know the right answers. You have to have the right heart. So can can I just say, if God wanted us to have all the right answers, he wouldn't have given us the Bible that he gave. He would have gave us, like, an instruction manual or something like a Wikipedia version. He didn't. If you read through it, we got, what, stories and, and songs and poems and these crazy scenes, letters, that each one of them forces us to slow down, participate in it, ask questions, make it personal. So Jesus is inviting him and us to read the scriptures in a way that is inextricably participatory and personal. He's inviting us into the story. So I want you to hear this. When we come to the scriptures, I want us to read the scriptures the way Jesus is suggesting here. 
That we have to make it personal. We have to participate in it. And if you're sitting there saying, Anderson, help me out here. Like, how do we do this? How do we experience the text? It's so far away. How do we participate in it? How do we make it personal? What are you talking about? And I just want to say, you do this all the time. You know exactly how to do this. I don't have to train you. So, um, songs, books, objects, movies. We do this with those things all the time. So it's, uh, you're driving down the road one day, 2009, cruising, and you hear on the radio, Hey, soul sister, ain't that Mr. Mr. on the radio? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you, you've never heard the song before. You, you don't know what it's about. Like, who's Mr. Mr.? You have no idea. But it's catchy, and you kind of like it. And you start humming it. And without even thinking about it, that text, like, you kind of start repeating it. And you hear it again, and you hear it again. And without even trying, without even trying, you start to memorize the words. You start, you're like, lipstick stains on the front lobe of my... Yeah, you know all the words! You didn't even try! And then next thing you know, you're repeating it. And then next thing you know, you're like brushing your teeth. And you're mowing the lawn, and you have this, these words, the meaning now. And now is not just empty words, but you actually know who Mr. Mr. is. And, and those words start to take on meaning in your life. And so it's just part of your life. You don't really think about it that much. But that song, that text is now part of who you are, just in there. Until one day, you go out on a date with her. And it is the perfect date, and it's the moment, that's the date where you look back and you say, that's when I knew I want to marry this girl. And right as you pull up to her door to let her off her apartment, what comes on? You know. Hey, soul sister, ain't that Mr. Mr. And that song, your song, in that moment, something amazing happens. Your song becomes our song, right? And you are marital bliss. You know, just a few months later, what are you doing? You're at your wedding and you're dancing to Mr. Mr. Oh, it's so great. And now you're married and you're like, we're going to be happy forever until you have a baby. (laughs) And then everything smells like poop and you don't sleep at all. And you're like, this is terrible. And one of those crazy nights, like three months in, you're like bouncing the baby and it won't stop. And you're like, we're going to die. And then you start singing, hey, soul sister. And right then, the baby stops crying. (laughs) And what happens? Our song becomes our song. All right? You just play this out. And the next thing you know, you're like, you're you're walking your girl down the aisle. And at at her wedding reception, what are you dancing to your little girl to? Yeah. Train. It's great. She gives you a kiss on your left side brain. And it's at your funeral then. What are we playing? We're playing the same song. Okay? Now, here's my point. The arc of that, the arc of that, it might not be a song for you, but you have an object. I promise, all of you, you have a book, an object, something in your life that has that effect, that every time you see it, each layer of life that you experience with that text, with that object, with that thing, it comes on a new layer of meaning for you, that you don't just know what it means, and it's not just stuck in your head, but you've internalized it. It's now part of your life, part of who you are. And this... This is the way we're supposed to enter into the scripture. So I read Ephesians 1, 4, like, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world in love. He predestined us, and it wrecks me, and I weep. 
And I have that moment with God, and then later in life, I actually study it in Greek, and I now know what every word means. And I debate it, and I wrestle with it, and it takes on a new layer of meaning. And then I have kids, and I realize, oh, when God talks about knowing me before I was even created, I know what it's like to be a father who knows their child before they even come into this world. I know what that love is, and it takes on a whole new layer of meaning. And that every layer of life adds a new level till that text is just part of who I am. I carry it with me everywhere I go. And that is the way we're supposed to read the Scriptures. This is not a new story. This is not a new idea. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and what does uh, Moses say to us? He says, these commandments that I give to you today, you're supposed to talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up, you tie it to your hands, you bind it to your head. Like it should be tied to you, it should be part of you, you should experience it, you should live it, you should participate in it. Everywhere you go, it should add a new layer of meaning. My favorite picture is probably uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, where God takes him, gives him the Bible and says, eat it. (laughs) Eat it? Eat it. Like, let me quote this to you. This is Ezekiel chapter 3, he says, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll. Like, digest it, chew on it, make it part of you. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to be your strength, your life. It's going to be everything. Got to make it part of you. John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to another expert in the law, and he says this, you diligently study the scriptures. Like, you analyze it, you dissect it, you have all the right answers. You diligently study them because you think that by them you will possess eternal life. These are are the scriptures that testify about me, about me. They're personal. And yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. That if you read the scriptures and don't come to Jesus, don't meet Jesus, don't experience Jesus in the scriptures, you haven't read them correctly. So, how do we do this? How do we make sure that When we read, we don't treat the Bible like some dead book, like some object to be dissected, but we read it like it is God's Word, living and active, an invitation into personal relationship with Him, that He wants to speak into our life, that we're supposed to carry it with us, that it's supposed to form how we think and act and live. So, for the next few minutes, um, I'm going to give us an abbreviated version of what is called Lectio Divina, which literally just translates sacred reading. It is, this is very abbreviated, but I want to give you a thumbnail sketch here today. It's based on the idea that prayer, worship, and Bible study should never be separated. They should be one. That you shouldn't, oh, I'm going to pray over here, and I'm going to do worship over here, and I'm going to do Bible study over here, but all three of those should never be far from one another. They should be together. That the right interpretation is the one that leads you into deeper relationship with Jesus, period. If it doesn't lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus, it is the wrong interpretation. So, uh, two asides. If you are interested in this and you're like, you taste this or experience this and you're like, yes, I want more of this. Uh, We have with us several people who are trained spiritual directors who help lead people in this way. Becky Preston's one of them. I know that she would love and some of us would love to help you grow deeper in this type of reading of scripture. If, on the other hand, you are new to church and you're like, this is totally weird, don't worry, it'll be over in 10 minutes. All right, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read the exact same text. We're going to practice a spiritual reading of the scriptures. I'm going to read the exact same text three times. 
Each time I'm going to give you a pause and give us some instruction. And, and we're going we're gonna to go through this. And then here's the, the ending. I'm going to invite Heather to come on out just to create some atmosphere here so it's not too weird for us. And um, in this, I'm going to go through each reading. I'll give instructions and then a reading, instruction, reading. And then at the end, I'm going to try, and Heather's going to back me up here. I'm, I'm going to try and lead through a song. So maybe a little less, yeah. And the song, uh, I'm not a vocalist. So if you don't support me in it, it's just going to be really weird. All right? All right. So I want to set this up where I I want you to prepare yourself. Like, this is just preparing to listen to God. And then we'll go through the the three movements. And in preparing yourself physically is just as important as spiritually. And I encourage people to just sit up straight, put their feet flat on the floor, and sit in an open position. I don't know what that looks like for you. Some people like to put their palms face up on on their lap, but whatever's comfortable for you. Don't just don't be awkward with it. Whatever's most comfortable for you to sit that way. The idea is that you're not addressing me and you're not addressing others, but you want to listen to God with your body, with your whole self. And we're going to start with an ancient practice called a breath prayer. It's matching our breathing to the Word of God. And there's some reasons for doing this, but I'm not going to go into those. We're just going to try it. This, this particular one is a line from Psalm 63. Where David, he has to flee into the wilderness and he's literally, he's in a terrible place, physically, spiritually. Like, it seems like he's going to die. He's, he's starving. He's, he's dying of thirst. And in that moment, he cries out to God, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So we're going to take the middle line from that. And as you inhale, I want you to say to yourself, My soul thirsts for you. You might even say it under your breath. And as you exhale, my body longs for you. Let's do that a few times. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In this first reading, I just want you to hear God's word. I'm going to read it for you. And your job is just to hear it. That's it. To really hear it the way I heard Ephesians 1 that day. To open yourself up to allow God to make his impressions on your heart, mind, and soul. And so here's the scene. It's been a full day of teaching. Jesus was exhausted. It's evening. And Jesus wants to get away from the crowds and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And in that moment, we read this. On that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, 
be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want you to imagine yourself in this story. Like, I'm going to read this text, and I want you to imagine yourself maybe in that boat or in that scene. I want, I want you to say, like, what do you hear? What do you feel? What do you smell? What do you see? Like, in that moment, what perplexes you? What attracts you? Like, if you were on that boat, what do you see? And as you listen to the words and you watch this scene unfold, I'm going to ask you to listen for a word or a phrase. So after the reading... I'm going to ask you to turn to a person next to you and share it, that word or phrase, if, if God lays one on your heart. Don't explain it. I'm not asking you to explain it, not do a Bible study. Just take that word and give it to someone else. Now, if God doesn't give you one, don't make one up. But the person next to you might have a word for you. So let's read it again. It goes like this. On that day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took, took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. 